this is such an important thing. Uh, we've got election season coming up. Anybody know that? <laughs> yeah, that's like, I think we just kind of live in it now. But uh, I just want to kind of back up because something that the Lord has been stirring on me over these last couple of years and really how to address this and how to get in it. Do you realize that we are living in a day where as believers, Christians, our values and morals are trying to be pushed to the side? More and more. Some of the things that we share as a believer in Christ is now being termed hate speech. Do you realize that? There's some countries that are like, oh, you can't say that. And uh, trying to marginalize, oh, you're just old-fashioned. That's just old-fashioned. And, and what is happening, you know, if you can picture like this big uh, uh, circle, is at one time the church really in Christ was the center of the community. Like several years ago, we, uh, we were able to go to Europe, and it was interesting seeing all these little towns and villages. The church was like the center, and then everything else was built around it. And, and what's going on now is it's like, oh, let's just put you to the outside. We don't want to think about you. We don't want to deal with you. It's too uh, convicting or whatever. And so around our world, and even here in America, there are some real persecution that's starting. It's not major in some areas, but it's happening, suffering. And, and as a believer, how many of you feel a need? I want to do something about that. What do I do? So the question is, uh, when or how should we fight back as a Christian? And, and let me tell you, there's two answers, because there's a biblical answer, and then there, there's an American Christian make-you-feel-good answer. All right, how many of you know those are different? Right? Things are different. And, and let me just say, over these last few years, there's been some real deviation away from what biblical Christianity really is. And I don't know about you, but it's concerning because many people have redefined Christianity to match their political preferences, their personal opinions, how they think things should be or how they wish they would be, right? And, and people kind of freaking out over what Jesus said was already going to happen. Right? If he told us it was going to happen, and so our, sometimes our actions and response don't really reflect Jesus well. Amen? Let me, I know I kind of harp on this every now and then, but sometimes our social media posts are absolutely embarrassing to the kingdom. And I'm just going to say, some friends that I have as pastors, I'm just like, Ugh. like, why did you post that, right? It's been a difficult few years. And uh, some people, let's just be honest, some people you thought would never leave the church, they were faithful, they're gone now. And some people that, that, some of them even left their relationship with the Lord. Uh, I shared this, uh, an, I don't know, a couple of months ago. After the pandemic was over, there was uh, probably 25% of people that used to be a part of a church are no longer in church. Some of them aren't even serving God anymore. And it's like, what is going on? How many of you realize there's an American church crisis that's going on in America. A lot of people, and we have a title, Discovering Your True Identity, because the church is looking for our identity, our value, our worth, but sometimes in the wrong things. We're looking in the wrong things. And so, like I said, we subtitle it Discovering Your Identity. How many of you realize that there was a time when uh, the cross of Jesus was all that we needed to identify ourselves as a believer? Amen. It's all about Jesus. I mean, even as we're taking communion, it's about Jesus. That was all there. But, but here's the thing. Today, many believe that we need Jesus and other things, such as our political party. How many of you know that that's true? Right? I got both of them on there. Right? How many of you know it doesn't show the lamb on there? The lamb's over here. 
<laughs> right? But it's like, not just that, but it's like, you know, oh, well, that's not enough. I need Jesus and you need to agree with me on health and welfare, right? Mask mandates, vaccines, to vax and to not vax. That is the question, right? You better eat the right way. Uh, you better make sure you're doing all the right things. Sometimes people just need their own anger, right? We're, we're Christians, but we're just angry. How many of you, don't, please don't raise your hand, okay, but I'm going to ask this, okay? How many of you are angry about the whole student loan thing? Oh, I can't believe that. Oh, I'm so mad. You know, uh, I'm mad about this. So we get our anger along with this. And that's not how it should be. We need to focus back on the cross. The problem is, as Christians, we can't base on our, our identity on anything other than Jesus. Because anything you put an addition to that is an idol. Jesus plus anything else. And Jesus said to get rid of your idol. And I, and I believe that this pandemic that we went through really revealed some profound weaknesses as the church that we have. What did it reveal? I believe that the church as a whole, so I'm not like specifying any one individual, is not prepared or ready for persecution, hardship, or suffering. When people have left the church just because uh, of, of, of some of the things that have happened, where was your faith at to begin with? Right. And, and let me just say, things are not getting better, They're not, are they? If you read the Bible, it's not going to get better. So we need to do something about it because let me say, when real persecution comes, we need to be able to respond biblically. Amen? According to God's word. And I'm not sure if the church is going to be bigger as a result of that, but my prayer is that it'll be stronger. Amen? Amen? It'll be stronger. And you're saying, well, Pastor Scott, are you predicting persecution? I'm not. I don't have to because guess what? Jesus already did. What did he say in John 15? If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it. But you are no longer a part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, and so it hates you. If the world hates you, remember that it hated me first. The world would love you as one of its own if you belong to it, but you are no longer a part of it. I chose. Did I just read the same thing over again? I just wanted to emphasize that that was on purpose. Okay, let me get to the end. Do you remember what I told you? A slave is not greater than the master. Since they persecuted me, naturally they will persecute you. If they had listened to me, they would listen to you. They will do all of this to you because of me, for they have rejected. So Jesus is saying, listen, think about it. If Jesus got persecuted, who do I think I am? Why is this happening to me? Oh, man, somebody was mean to me because I'm a Christian. Listen, if you tuck tail and run over that, what's going to happen when real stuff happens? Right? Some people, some Christians have even kind of weaponized this because they're like, oh, you know what? They didn't agree with me. They were mean to me. They were this. They opposed me. Uh, and let me just say, not all the time is that the case. You're not, all, not because you're standing out. How many of you realize sometimes people don't like you because you're mean? As Christians, and listen, nobody in our church, because everybody's great here, but how many of you know there are some Christians? Anybody ever met a mean Christian? Yeah, see, uh, there's some hands that are up. And it's like, you know, oh, I'm going I'm to fight this and I'm going to do that. And it's like, no, that's not what God called us to do. Listen, re here, let me just say this. Regardless of who's in our political offices, whoever controls the House Senate, do you realize persecution is still going to happen? 
It's still going to happen. You can't prevent it. You can't stop it. I don't even think we can delay it. So if it is coming, and we know that it's coming, doesn't it make sense to be prepared for that? To be ready for that? Because I started, some of you that were here at the beginning of this year, uh, maybe you weren't, we started off a series and we really felt like the Lord put this, uh, this phrase on our heart to gird up. And, and so I spent five weeks talking about what that means to be prepared for the things that are coming in our world. We've got to be ready. So you can always go back and listen to it. If you haven't, I really believe that even as we get into this, God is still calling us. He needs our faith to be strong. Amen. We need to be strong. So it, let me just say at Freedom Church, my goal is that we will learn what it means to be a biblical Christian first. Amen. Instead of defining our identity as an American Christian, a Republican Christian, a Democrat Christian, a cultural Christian, evangel whatever label you want to put on it, right? Our identity must be biblical Christians. We must, we must be what the scripture says us to, for us to be. Because like I said, real persecution is going to happen. And at that time, when that happens, it's not going to matter what country you're a part of or what political party. What's going to matter is your faith. Right. Is your faith strong enough to withstand whatever the enemy may throw at you? Is it strong enough? You're going to, you know, you're going to hear that some people get mad about this stuff. Because I'm going to get, if you're like, what should we do about this? What should we do about that? I'm going to give you the biblical answer and maybe not the popular answer. That's my job. That's what God has called as a pastor to do is to equip the body, not just to entertain. I try to do that as well by reading scriptures more than once, right? So uh, uh, it's not about that. It's like, listen, I want you to be equipped, to be ready, to be mature, what the scripture calls us to. So, and, and I want to just say, like I said, you've seen this deviation that's going on and there are, and I'm not pointing my fingers at anyone, but there are some churches and some ministries, they've attracted a lot of people because they have tapped into this American political version of Christianity. Yeah, I know, I'm don't, don't get mad at me, I'm just telling you. Because what they're doing is that they're appealing to people's anger about what's going on in our country. And listen, I don't like what's going on in our country. But I can't, like, monopolize on that in order to get people to come. I've got to make sure that my focus is still on. Amen? Because no matter who we elect to any kind of office, how many of you know, you can't elect people to be a believer of Christ. Right? That's not going to sway anyone. So here's the thing, not pointing fingers, but I do remember as I'm sitting there preparing for this message, one of my Bible college, my uh, uh, biblical preaching professor, smart man. He was a doctorate in communication, passed away a couple of years ago, but he said this, he's, and his name was Dr. Jimmy Brewer. I still remember him well. He goes, if the gospel you're preaching can't be preached in the rice fields of Vietnam, then it's not the true gospel. Hallelujah. I mean, let that kind of soak in. It's like what I'm all worked up about Jesus and whatever, uh, that, a lot of that stuff doesn't even play out over there, right? The gospel is the good news no matter where you're at in the world, no matter what economy you're in, no matter what government you're in, the good news is the good news. The good news is that, that, that Jesus, God sent his only son into the world, right? He is born of a virgin. He rose. He died on the cross for our sin. We celebrated communion remembering that. And guess what? He was resurrected and he's coming again, right? That's the gospel right there. 
All of this other stuff is just additional fodder, basically, that we need to get rid of. And, and let me just say, a lot of stuff going on in Christian circles sounds good, but it's not what the Bible says. So let me, let, let me just back up for a minute. I am not the sole interpreter of Scripture. How many of you realize that? Right? What? I thought you were, right? No. Anybody can read the Bible. You can find out what a biblical Christian is supposed to be. In fact, I hope that you are. You will discover what does it mean to be really authentic, loving God, and, and be in that example. Be, example. be in that example. So uh, let me, that's a new word I'm pronouncing. That's my Texas coming out in me. So sadly, some people have left the church because being a biblical Christian is not really what they want. They want somebody that aligns with their belief. Right? They want somebody that aligns with whatever their horse is that they want to ride on, right? And uh, we want to be as close as possible to be what God has called us to be, to represent Christ. Here's the reality. Biblical Christianity, it's a high standard of living, behavior, conversation, and character. Not a low bar, right? We shouldn't be afraid to be challenged in how we live our lives. Or how, how we behave. How many of you know we don't always behave right? Does anybody always behave right? Let me put my hand down. All right, we don't always do that. Our conversations, the words that come out of our mouth, we should be challenged. Our character. And, and listen, we should welcome to be challenged. I hope you are. Listen, if you go to a church and you're never challenged to grow in your faith, why are you there? All right, for the coffee and donuts, I know that's not the case here. We got average coffee and cheap pastries. So uh, I don't think anybody's coming here like, oh man, you got to go to Freedom Church. They got the best coffee and donuts there. Uh, I wouldn't come to our church for the coffee and donuts. I'm just telling you. I want to be challenged. I want to grow. And listen, growing and being challenged in that, it's not always comfortable, is it? No? Anybody ever gone through physical therapy or had a personal trainer? Right, look at those. Anybody enjoy that? Man, that was fun fun. Yeah. Here's the thing. A a personal trainer knows how to push you. If you're going to get stronger, they push you past your comfort zone, right? They pass you past, but if you're going to get stronger, you got to do it. All right. You got to do that physical thing. I know Richard's doing it right now. Just got his, is it fun? No, not at all. And uh, it's like, okay, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it. Right. Uh, If you want to earn a college degree or higher, boy, Anybody ever feel like that before, right? You've got to be challenged mentally and intellectually if you're going to get there. It's not like, hey, listen, I signed up, I gave you my money, well, here's your degree. Oh, no, it's pushing. It's getting in there, right? If you're going to be a concert pianist, uh, you've got to be able to challenge yourself, right? You've got to get past, you, somehow you've got to get past playing chopsticks, Right? Like, dun, 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 dun. hey, you ready to hire me for the concert? No, no, we've got to push ourselves. And here's the reality, too. If you want to stay sober, if you really want your life to change, I mean, five years is a big deal. Those of you that have been through recovery, is five years a big deal? Yeah, it's not automatic. No, the people that hit that and higher are people that have learned how to deal with the hurts and the frustrations of life that caused the addiction in the first place. Like you can't deal with your life the same way you dealt with it before and think that your life is going to change. What do they say that? If you keep doing the same thing over and over again, that's the definition of insanity. insanity. Thank you. I couldn't remember what it was. So, uh, so here's the thing. At Freedom Church, I just want to tell you, we want to challenge you. We had fun with our, those of you that were here through the summer, we had fun with the fruit of the Spirit. Did you guys enjoy that? 
I'm sorry you're not getting any fruit after service today. It's service is over. There were only nine. But did anybody, just be honest, anybody felt challenged in any of those? Because I know my hand is up. It's like, oh, God, <laughs> the patience one. <laughs> I thought I was patient. Lord, help me. Help me to have joy. Help me to be kind. All of those different things. So here's the thing. Some people will rise to the challenge. Some won't. Growing in Christ is exciting, but at the same time, have you ever found it to be kind of scary? Yeah. Why? Because there's areas of our life that we know needs to change. We just don't want to do it. Let's be honest. I know I need to change. I know I need to have that. I just don't want to do it. Here's the thing. When we choose to live according to God's word, yes, it is going to stretch you. But I want to tell you, when persecution comes, you're going to be ready. Right? You're going to be ready. I love this, and I'm oh, already on it, right? Ephesians 6.13, uh, out of the message version. I really love it out of that. Be prepared. You're up against far more than you can handle on your own. And let me just say, whether it's persecution or just life, how many of you know you're up against more than you can handle on your own? It says, take all the help you can get, every weapon God has issued, so that when it's all over but the shouting, you'll still be on your feet. Hallelujah. Amen? I want to be on my feet. I don't care what the enemy throws at me. And let me tell you, he will throw a lot. He's out to kill, steal, and destroy. He can do his worst, and I want him to be frustrated at the end when all of the smoke settles and it's like, ah, you're still there? You know, I knocked out all these other people. How are you still there? It's because my faith is solid in him. Yeah. Amen? Not in all of these other things that... that you know, whatever it is. My faith is solid in him. In Christ alone I stand, right? Not anything else. So persecution is going to come no matter what happens. We don't want to be the little wimpy, oh, no, I faced a little struggle. Somebody said something mean to me. I'm going to run and hide, right? We don't want to be that. Remember the, in, in the Old Testament when the armies of Israel were up against the Philistines and Goliath was there? And they're all cowering. We're all scared. We don't know. And a teenage boy gets up there and says, he's not worried about his size because he knows the size of God. That's right. Amen. And he's like, hey, listen, I'm going to take you on because I serve the God, the king of heaven, and, and he can wipe you out. That's not a quote, right? Just so you know. But we need to be able to say, hey, listen, I can take on the enemy. Not because I'm something special, not because I've got, you know, you know I've, I've memorized more scripture than you. No, because I've got God on the inside of me, and if he is for me, what does the scripture say? Who can be against you, right? We want to be that. In the early church, can I tell you, there was no such thing as a cultural Christian. As a matter of fact, the Christians were all countercultural. It was so different. They were willing to die for their faith. And, and the audience that Paul faced, that's who he faced. He faced people that were like, if I'm following Christ, I'm following Christ. There was no half-heartedness about it. And what Paul spoke to us really formed biblical Christianity. He wrote the book, the letter to the Ephesians church from a prison cell in Rome. There's several letters that Paul wrote that we call the prison epistles, the prison letters. And it's like he wrote it to, and what would happen is he would write these letters to the different churches, to Thessalonica, Corinth, all these different ones. They would take the letters, they would read them, and they would pass them on to other churches. So the, the, the book of 
the, uh, what we call the book was a letter to the Ephesian church. That's why it's called Ephesians, because they got it first. Like, we got this one first, and then they passed it on to the other ones. And so I wanna fo- I'm not going to be able to cover everything in the book of Ephesians, because there's a lot of good stuff in there. I just want to encourage you to read it. But I want to focus on a portion out of chapter 1 that starts out. It says, For this reason, ever since I heard about your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love for all the saints. And I just want to stop there for a minute. Because somehow, think about it. Paul's in prison 900 miles away, and he heard about their faith in Jesus and their love for their saints. Like there's no telephone, there's no newspaper, there's no text messaging like, whoa, man, the Ephesians church is on it, right? They're doing great. None of that. Somehow, they're, uh, they're, people got known. Like this church, man, they love God and they love people. There's something awesome about them. And, and I asked Stephanie and Joshua, are you going to get the whiteboard for me? Sorry, I didn't, I didn't prepare him for that. He's like, what? Huh? Yeah, if you can set it up here, because I've... I wanted Stephanie because I, want I wanted someone that knows how to spell better than me. Yes, and can read it. Oh, yeah, that's true, too. So here's the thing. The Ephesians church was known for, was known for their faith and their love. I wonder, what are Christians known for today? Right? And, so, and I'm not talking about what you know Christians. I'm talking about the average person on the street that's not serving God. And so I'm going to let you guys answer that and give some of the words to, to Stephanie as, uh, as she's up here. What do you think the average... If you mentioned Christian, what would they say? Judgment. Judgmental. Well, slow down. She can't write too fast. What, what did I hear? Hypocrite. Hypocrite. See, I wouldn't have spelt that one right. H-Y-P-O-C-R-I-T-E. Is that right? Oh, I did it. Close-minded. Mm. Intolerant. Old-fashioned. I heard that. What did I hear? Conservative. The kids are having fun, aren't they? It's always good when kids have fun. How about anyone else? Any others? What's that? Unapproachable? Right, racist? Homophobic. <laughs> Terrorist? That is true. Manipulative. Yeah. She's getting smaller and smaller to get them all in there. Okay, we'll stop right there. Here's the thing. First of all, I want to say, who would want to be known by any of those words? All right? Nobody would. And the question is, how is it that in our world that we got there? Because I'm, I'm thinking maybe 50, 60 years ago, a lot of those words wouldn't be on there. Right? So things have happened in our world. And listen, some of these are not even true. Some of those are perceived, uh, but some of them in some places are true. Some of that is there. And it's like, how, how, nobody would want to be known for that. The average person on the street should know us. We should be known for our faith in Jesus and our love for others. That's and nothing else. We don't, I don't want to be known for anything else than the fact that I love God and that I love other people. Amen. No matter who comes in the door of this building or any other church building for that matter, they should sense that, man, these people love God and they love others. 
Like I felt welcome coming in here. Maybe if you're here and you're like, you know what, I don't know anybody here, but I feel like people actually love me, that they'll care of me. And, and let me just kind of make it personal. What do people say about you? Right? At your work, at schools, neighbors, family, what, would they use any of those words to describe you? I hope not. I wouldn't use that to describe anyone here. Uh, but what about this? And yes, I harp on this every now and then. What if they looked at your social media post? What would they say? What set of words would they use? We should live in such a way that when people talk about you, like, like I'm, oh man, I'm, I'm, you're in my line of view, JR. I always use you. But that JR, he sure loves Jesus and he loves other people. That should be, and I would say that about him, right? So <laughs> I would say that's what people, that's what we should be known for. We need to love other people. Uh, and listen, anybody ever hear like a whole, if you looked over your whole time, you've been coming to church for a lot years, how many sermons have you heard about love? A lot of them, right? Loving, how about just loving other people? I, I started thinking about this. I just preached on the love, uh, the fruit of love couple of months ago, and I'm like, man, we talk about that a lot. Do you know why we talk about that a lot? Yeah, there's a lot of people that are hard to love, right? right? How, how many of you sit next to that person? No, I'm just kidding right now. So uh, it's, it is a hard thing. If it was easy, if everybody was nice, loving, kind, sweet, wonderful people, we'd probably preach one message about that and then not have to talk about it again, right? That was it. But but people are a challenge. Reminded, Jesus said, I'm giving you a new command. And what's funny is it's really not a new command. But he says, love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. Your love for one another will prove that you are my disciples. And listen, this is just love amongst each other. Right? Love amongst... I believe that a mark of a believer is a biblical Christian is that we love each other. There shouldn't be backbiting and bickering and all of that. And thank God, to my knowledge, there's none of that going on, but, at least in our church. But we should never be the people, and I've heard people say this, I love him, but I don't like him. Anybody ever hear that? I oh, I have to love him because she's a Christian. Right? I have to. Can I say, that's not love. Right? The love of Jesus is not fake love. Let me just fake it till I make it. I love you. Ugh. I hope I can avoid him next week, right? No, that's not it. Genuine love flows out of our love for God and our love for other people. We have to allow him to do that. And so he says this. He goes on to say in verse 16, I have not stopped giving thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers. I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, look what he says, may give you the spirit, notice that's a capitalized, spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Listen, that's one of the spiritual gifts. Spirit of wisdom and, and uh, revelation is knowledge. Both of those are listed as a spiritual gift. And, and how many of you want that gift? I want wisdom and knowledge. I want that. How many of you realize that sometimes in the church we want those gifts for the wrong reasons? We want it because, oh, I want to impress people. Let me give them the word of wisdom, right? Man, Pastor, you were just so right on, right? That was a good... Or, or, you know, we want to give somebody a special word. Or seeking new revelation. It's like, oh, I want to understand the end of the world. I want to understand the key to prosperity or, or personal advancement. All of these things. Uh, all of these things God can use. But I want to tell you, according to this verse, when the Spirit of God speaks, He wants to show you more Jesus, not more about yourself. Amen? Amen? The spirit of wisdom and revelation is not to make you smart, impressive, superior, or to write a book and sell it, right? It's so that you can know 
Jesus better. Right? And that's really what we want. God gives wisdom and revelation so you can know him more. I want to know him more. And so what? God, I need that spirit of wisdom. God, I need that revelation. I need that understanding so that I can know him more. If you back up a few verses in uh, chapter 1, it says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. God has given us grace. There's wisdom and understanding. This is, and maybe you guys can identify with this. The more of Jesus that you know, the more you understand and appreciate his grace. Have you all found that to be true? The more I begin to understand Jesus and the more closer I get to him, man, it's like, oh God, your grace is bigger than I thought it was. Right? Lord, thank you. And then I went on to say, the more I know and understand about his grace, the more thankful and worshiping, worshipful I am. Like sometimes, and, and you know, people are like, man, that person's getting a little bit too excited in worship. What's going on with them? They're a little, maybe they just got a revelation of God's grace. Hallelujah. Right? I don't know how somebody can just worship the whole time like this. Mm, God is good. Hallelujah. You know, it's like, God is better than that. Right? right? If you can go to a football game and get all crazy and cheering and all of that, and it's like, but God's only going to get this? Right? No. You don't know exactly what grace is all about. You need the spirit of wisdom and knowledge to understand how big God's grace really is. Amen? And it's been, here's the thing. It's been poured out, and, and Paul is praying for them to have more. He wants them to have more because guess what? There's always room for growth. You're never going to get enough. You're never going to know it all. Every day with Jesus, we should be drawing closer to him. It's not like, oh, I found Jesus, I found everything. Oh, no, God's got so much more he wants to reveal. I mean, there's a song that we used to sing. Some of you guys might know it. Every day with Jesus is the day. Yeah, let's say it's every day with Jesus, sweeter than the day before. Every day with Jesus, I love him more and more. Right? That's all I know of the song, so that's all I can do. See, you guys heard me sing. Scary, right? But every day, I heard, what? Did, who said right? <laughs> I heard that. Of course, it's Robert, right? So uh, let's move on. He says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be lightened. Now, let me just say, in the Bible, when they're talking about the heart, they're talking about your mind, what you're thinking about, right? There were, they didn't say with your mind. We none, you know, when we do it, we're thinking with our brain. With them, it was their heart. But Paul is saying, you know, I'm praying that basically your understanding might be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he is. So here's the thing. He's wanting us to expand our understanding to understand the hope to which he called us, the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. So he wants us to understand that. Listen, I want to tell you, Pastor Colleen and I, that's our prayer for people is that they will understand more and more how good, how much that hope is. Understand his power. How many of you know how much hope you really have? God chose you. He called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. He is our hope. In Colossians, it says Christ is our hope, right? If we understand that, let me tell you, our hope in this world is not for a better life on earth. Oh, I hope my 401k does better. Hope I get this. Hope I get that. Our hope is not found in freedoms or liberties as Americans. 
right? Our hope is not found in our social status. It's not found in our wealth or influence. Our hope is not in the headlines. It's not in the stock market, thank God, right? In the economy, it's like if your hope is in some of that stuff, how many of you know you're going to be very disappointed, right? Our hope is in the one who called us because no power uh, on this earth or in heaven or hell can stop God's plan for your life if you're surrendered and following after him. My hope is in him. So number three in your notes, because of Jesus, we have hope. We have hope. We have an inheritance waiting for us in heaven. That's what the Bible says. You know, on, on this earth, we leave an inheritance. So, you know, we've joked with our kids that your inheritance is going to be some McDonald's cups that were collector's items a number of years ago. I think they've broken now. Now we, we're, we're hoping to at least leave them enough money for a meal that they can go to afterwards. So not much of an inheritance. But how many of you know an inheritance is not something you earn or deserve? Right? You didn't earn it. You didn't deserve it. But our inheritance in heaven is going to be way better. That's my hope. I don't know what God's got for me, but I know it's going to be better than anything on this side of heaven, right? Our hope is not in, in, in whatever this world has to offer. None of these little signs that I put up here. Everything else that we put our hope in, one day is going to fade, isn't it? Our hope is in Jesus. Our hope is in the message of the cross, redemption for our souls, resurrection from the dead. Let me tell you, misplaced hope is going to make your heart sick. You put your hope in the wrong thing, it's like you're going to be in despair. You're going to, oh man, you know what? You know, I was hoping this would happen. I was hoping that you're going to be in anxiety. It's going to mess you up. You put your hope in the wrong thing, and uh, misplaced hope will cause you to be like this. Right? You're going to be angry. You're going to be mad. You're going to be closed-minded. That's not working out the way I suppo- it was supposed to. Listen, if you're feeling hopeless, there's an answer for you. There's an answer for you. How do I put my hope in Jesus? Notice what he said here. Let me just jump down to 19. His incomparably great power is for what? Us who believe. Oh, I did that twice, didn't I? I was putting it together, so imagine that's not there. (laughs) For us who believe, right? We got to believe. If you don't believe, you don't have access to the power, right? It doesn't work the way. He didn't, uh, he didn't, and here's the thing. Jesus didn't pray for them to have power, He just said believe, because they already have power. How many of you know, if you've accepted Christ, we've got all the power we already need? Anybody ever figure out, like, maybe your printer wasn't working right, and you're like, what's going on? You forgot to turn it on. Anybody ever have something like that? Some of your electronics, oh, it's not on. I just got to flip that thing on. That stuff happens all the time. As a believer, we have power available to us. We're just not plugged in right? We don't have the power. The problem with the church in America today, it's not a power problem, it's an awareness problem. Are we aware of the power that is available to us? Supernatural power does not run out, does it? Sometimes as believers, we're like uh, running our spiritual life on a generator. We got to keep filling that thing up, right? Like, oh man, I hope Sunday gets here. I need, I need a refill on my gas, right? I need, to, I need to pump it back up. Oh no, the Holy Spirit will give you endless power, Amen? And, and I love the word power right there. It's the, it's the Greek word dunamis, meaning miraculous power, might, strength, and ability. His incomparably great power for us who believes. That power is for you and I to have available. And it only comes from the Holy Spirit. Like if I have a lamp, I can't just like, you know, does anybody got static electricity in their hair? Here, hold that. Let me see if it'll come on. No, it doesn't work that way. 
You've got to plug it into an outlet, right? And for us to have that kind of power, we've got to be plugged into the Holy Spirit. Actually, we need to be filled with the Holy Spirit. Look what it says in Acts 1.8. You will receive power. That's that exact same word when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses telling people about me everywhere, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria. Let me tell you, this, some of these areas were hostile places to the gospel. I mean, ask Paul, who got stoned with rocks, right? It was not, but he had supernatural power to keep on. In his own ability, he wasn't going to do it. I wouldn't do it, right? If somebody killed me or almost killed me with rocks and drug me out of the city, I'm like, I'm done. Anybody else with me? You almost killed me. I gave it a go, God. I'm done. <laughs> I'm out of here. But no, when you've got supernatural power, the apostle Paul got up after being beaten with rocks and went right back into the same city. It's not like, man, he's got some gumption, right? No, he had the power of the Holy Spirit that drove him and took him back in there. And then let me finish reading this out of 19. That power that we're talking about is like the working of his mighty strength which he exerted in Christ when he rose him from the dead. That's the kind of power that he is offering us. I, I love this quote from a theologian, F.F. F. Bruce. He passed away about 20-something years ago. But he says, If the death of Christ is the supreme demonstration of the love of God, then the resurrection of Christ is the supreme demonstration of his power. Think about it. The power to raise somebody from the dead. Who's got that? I mean... You know, we have movies, oh, you know, zombies and stuff like that. How many of you know that's not real? <laughs> right? Nobody is raising anybody from the dead except for God. He is the only one. And what he's talking about, if we think about that, is that you and I have access to the same power that rose Christ from the dead. We have resurrection power that is available to us, that means the dead things that you thought were gone in your life, God can raise back up, right? The things that the enemy has stolen from you, God can restore that because he's got that power available. Relationships that you thought were long gone and would never be restored, let me tell you, the power of resurrection is on the inside of you, amen? So we want to walk in that. We need to be aware of that. We need to tap into the Holy Spirit who's got that kind of power. Amen? Amen. Bring that back to life. Verse, uh, let me read that again. He exerted in Christ when he raised him from the dead. And then look, seated him at the right hand in heavenly realms. Notice this, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and every title that can be given. So how many authorities is he over? All, right? Does that mean the White House? Does that mean the, what's the uh, Russian? The Kremlin? Thank you, right? Does it, is it bigger than the Kremlin? Or whatever the, you know, the Chinese, whatever. I don't even know his name. So all authority. Christ is seated above all authority. Can I tell you, that's why I don't worry about the government. Not because I don't care. I do. As a matter of fact, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. I encourage every Christian to vote, right? I hope that you do. I hope that, because we live in a country where at least right now we can still vote, call your senators, congressmen, and, and when they're trying to pass things that are ungodly, I hope that you do in, in there. But in the end, I want to tell you, I don't worry. I lose zero amount of sleep because of who's in office, Right? Zero. I spend no time stressing about politicians. I'm not freaked out about the rulers of this world. 
right? Putin, yeah, he, you know, he's doing some horrible things. I don't stress out about him. I pray. I pray that God will give uh, victory to the Ukrainians so that they can have freedom. But I'm not going to lose sleep because the Bible tells me Jesus is still on the throne. Amen. He's still there. And like I said, his thrones, the white thrones bigger than the white house. So let me just say it like that. I know that whoever, whoever it is that's going on this earth doesn't have the last word. I mean, I'm sure back when Alexander the Great or Attila the Hun or some of these, Hitler, all of these, some of these people that were ruling, uh, people were scared, but guess what? They come to an end. There's an end that is happening to everything that's happening. Guess what? The King of Kings is still there. He's still on the throne, so I'm not going to stress about any of that. And if you think about the Ephesians, they were surrounded by magic, witchcraft, the uh, occult, all of that. So they had pagan temples all over the place. And, and in the same way, you can look at our world, there's satanic influence on the rise, pornography, paganism, Wicca, uh, New Age, humanism. But guess what? Jesus still has all authority and all power. He still has all of that. And so this is what I want to tell you. Biblical Christians, we face opposition differently. Why? We know the power of God that is in us. Everybody say, in me. And the power of Jesus that surrounds and protects us. So I don't have to freak out about what's going on in the world. I've got Jesus. Right? Everything else can tumble and fall. But guess what? When it's all over but the shouting, guess what? We're still going to be standing. Amen? Amen. So uh, let me tell you, some may agree, but I keep hearing, I, you know, you may agree with that. I, I've been hearing this the last couple of years, and to an extent I agree with it, but I hear people say, you don't understand, Pastor, things are worse than they've ever been. How many of you have heard that? I've never seen things. It's gotten worse than it ever has. Things are so bad, Pastor, what's the church going to do? Can you imagine being in China when they pushed all of the missionaries and tried to close all the churches? I don't have the numbers off the top of my head. There were only maybe a couple hundred thousand Christians in the whole nation of China when that happened. And I'm sure they were thinking, what are we going to do? We can't meet. People are being killed. People are being tortured for being a Christian. And, and, you know, 50 years later, they went back. And there are millions upon millions of Christians there now. Because guess what? The government of China could not shut out the church. It couldn't shut out God as much as it wanted. So why would I be freaked out? It's like, oh no, the church, you may lose your tax-exempt status. You may lose this. You may lose that. It's like, guess what? God's still in control. God's still in control. Hey, listen, we lost our insurance uh, because of the fires in California. Now we have to have, what's the name of it, Randy? Care, the fair, yeah, because we're in such a high danger zone right here in our business park, Right? So now our insurance is three times more than what it used to be. And you know what? We're not stressing out about it because God's still our provider. Like, why am I going to freak out about it? It's like, you know what? All of this stuff is so temporary. God is still on the throne. So let me read the rest of this verse. And then Timothy's going to come up. That power... Oh, oh, here's the thing I was going to read. And so he has far more power, not only in the present age, but in the age to come. So how many of you know that, that God is not, God the Father is not up there with Jesus saying, oh no, things are worse than they've ever been. What are we going to do? You think God's up there like, I don't know what's going to happen now. Look who they elected. What's going to happen now? Right? God's not worried about that. So why are we worried about it? So here we go. Verse 22, God placed all things under his feet 
appointed him to be the head over everything for the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills everything in every way. Let me put it in the message because I love this. He, talking about Jesus, is in charge of it all. He has the final word on everything. Amen? At the center of all of this, Christ rules the church. The church, you see, is not peripheral to the world. The world is peripheral to the church. What are we talking about there? When I started this message, how the world is trying to push the church to the edge, guess what? The church is still the center. Not because, and I'm not talking about a denomination. I'm talking about his church. The church is still the center. And why? Because the church is Christ's body. We have the power of God in us, in which he speaks and acts by which he fills everything with his presence. Amen? That's why we can't add all these other things to the body of Christ. None of that stuff has room. All of that stuff is temporary. We've got to make sure that, listen, I am about Jesus and Jesus alone. Like I said, vote, yes, do the things, eat healthy, you know, get mad when you need to get mad, but don't sin, right? Don't worry about all that other stuff, but make sure that what you stand for is Jesus. Make sure that, that when people hear about you, people that know you, they're like, man, that person loves God, and they sure love people. Yeah. Don't let your rants about whatever that is going on in our world taint the message of the gospel. Because the gospel is the good news. You get the gospel in somebody, how many of you know everything else changes? They accept Jesus. So we're going to go through Ephesians. I believe that we're going we're gonna to dive into some uncomfortable areas. Uh, I, if, if this wasn't enough for you today. But I want us to discover who we are in Christ. Because I want to stand in Christ alone. Amen? So can I have everybody stand in Christ alone? So we're going to sing that song. And uh, let's just make it a declaration. If you've, it, and you know, you know where your heart is. If you found yourself getting sucked into some of the, the culture of what is going on in our world, I want us to just to make a restatement saying, Lord, I'm standing only in you. My message is going to be about the cross and nothing but the cross. So help me, God. (laughs) It's all about Jesus. We want to be a Jesus church, amen? Because that's the only thing, that's the only message that is going to break into people's hearts and bring the change that is necessary, amen? Amen. Let's sing this song. Hey, listen, while we're doing that, if you need prayer, uh, we've got some of our prayer team, if you guys can come up. But let's just make this a statement unto him.